Okay, Charlie Bud, what is going on there, my guy? Not too much, Palmer. It's, I feel like I had a really busy weekend. <laughs> you know, I just feel like I had like plans Friday night, Saturday, day and night, you know. <laughs> hey, you know and what they say, the, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? It is. It's Christmas, or it's holiday season. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and speaking of holiday season, I actually had a question for you. Have you ever done like a white elephant before? No, but I'm doing one on Saturday this uh, weekend. Oh. Actually, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is then this becomes an even. Are you hosting or are you just going over? Going, yeah, things. going to one. It's um, someone that Rowan knows, so okay. Um, I, I think I've met them before, but uh, you know, just like only once or twice. So. No, I feel it's, honestly that's that's probably pretty good because then it's just like I come to you for the second time in life mm-hmm. bearing gifts and hopefully the <laughs> gifts are well received i hope so too um, see my question was have you ever done it slash what's your rule around stealing gifts because i know that some people say you can't steal a gift once somebody's gotten it some people allow for one steal and some people allow for three steals and then once it's been stolen three times it is locked in whoever's possession <laughs> it remains so, so I've, uh, I, since I've never done White Elephant, do you not know what the gift is when you steal it? Like you just okay. So the way it goes is you like it's kind of like kind of like the draft in a fantasy. You basically, <laughs> draw a not a snake draft though. You draw a number and uh, say there's twelve people. So and I have like pick number three. So the person pick one picks picks whatever gift for like that's wrap that they want. Yeah, pick it up. They unwrap it. They like it cool or they don't like it. Sucks for them. Uh, person number two and all the subsequent people can steal like any of the gifts as long as they haven't been stolen to like the limit. So you'll know if you're, if you're trying to steal a gift, you'll know what it is exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's like cool in that regard. I'm not going to lie. I have been stuck with some lame gifts in the past. I think my top gift. Okay, also, I just have to say, I'm a pretty good gift giver myself, so usually I want to take my own gift, but apparently that's frowned upon <laughs> by people, so I have to just, like, take uh, take whatever. What did I get? Actually, I got some uh, some whiskey last year. That was pretty nice. That's a nice. nice. Little, uh, Woodford Reserve, yeah, absolutely. So that was, that's up there. That's up there. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know what my feelings are about stealing. I guess I will let you know after this weekend. Once I don't know if they're even doing a stealing. I I've, I've heard some people don't do any stealing. You just kind of <laughs> do the rest. Suck. The get other part of what you get. Is you get what you get, kind of thing. Oh my god, it's an avocado. Dang, <laughs> this is like probably trash. Yep. But. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. No. Keep you posted. Bring uh. Bring back what happens next week to the old yeah. uh, potty. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Perfect. And yeah, I have one this weekend too. So I'll let you know what's. Oh, going do you? Yeah. Get a good gift. Are you hosting? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm going over my buddies, and he's hosting. So once again, I got to do my thing. You know, be the best. And the in college we did it. And if you had the best gift, you'd actually get an award for the oh. best gift. But the person who always hosted always got the gift because they were just a good. <laughs> At the time, is, they had is more there resources stealing than I in did. yours? What are your thoughts on stealing? I think there is stealing. I'm a big like proponent of stealing. I'm like, if something is good, then it should be able to be shared. And it adds <laughs> to like the angst, the anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. like I've lost friends that way. Let's all be honest. But uh, <laughs> people have thin skin. You know, you gotta you gotta deal with it. Suck it up. It's part of the game. It's <laughs> part of the game. You sign up for this. Exactly. Like, hey, you're a white elephant. You're not going to necessarily leave happy. Just know that. Good. It's just for fun, which I think is why I think there was like a price limit. They're all like kind of goofy gifts. Oh. oh, actually, it's funny. I hear some people will sometimes like have a really like not crappy gift, but it's like the gift nobody wants, but they, it just keeps coming back every year. So it's like if you end up with it, then you bring it back and you just like wrap it. And it's like, gosh, darn, who brought it back yeah, again? There's like a, yeah, there was like a tradition, like it. If I had a group of people who did that and we allowed stealing, that that'd be funny. Um, yes, and absolutely, I would be all for that. Just to bring back Agreed. the crappy gift, just see how many white <laughs> elephants it takes before someone doesn't bring it back. <laughs> it's like, I'm ending it. I'm just gonna burn it. All right, you'll never see it again. <laughs> this is the last year. I threw it out. Okay. <laughs> wow, I I spent fifteen dollars on that. <laughs> Burning How many money. years ago was that? 
<laughs> based on you know the fact that it's been 10 years since i got it it's probably like 35 dollars street value honestly <laughs> oh man oh man but no good luck i hope uh the odds are ever in your favor there thank you thank yeah you. yeah and i guess speaking of elephants i think that uh transitioning here to to, to herons i guess we can get into this bad boy all right let's do it <laughs> Perf, perf. What is going on, world? And welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. I'm Jordan Palmer, joined, as always, by the man with the golden voice, Charlie Budd. And today, we're discussing the latest film from Studio Ghibli, The Boy and the Heron. This movie brought legendary director Hayao Miyazaki out of retirement, which is enough to raise expectations for moviegoers everywhere in anticipation. For our lovely listeners, just note there will be spoilers ahead, so you have been warned. Charlie, I have a number of thoughts here, but where I think we should begin is by answering this one question. If you could describe the boy and the heron in one word, what word would you use? Now, feel free to give some thoughts afterwards, but kick us off there. Bud, what you got? So you said one word? One word. Um, meta. Meta. Oh, okay. Expand, expand. Okay, so as you know, I saw this movie last night with a couple of my friends from my NYU uh, course that I did at the beginning of uh, 2023. Um, and after the movie, we all, of course, as you always do, you chat about the movie and kind of what everybody, you know, thought. Uh, one of my friends, Oddbite, said that um, he was kind of like, oh, I thought the movie was a really kind of meta analysis. It was like a meta kind of film that Miyazaki was almost a stand in for the uh, tower, like the master of the tower and mm-hmm. kind of in some of the messaging on how like carrying on like my legacy in this sense, master of the tower was creating a fantastical world, um, which, you know, wow, that's a bit of a spoiler, I guess, but not really. I don't, I'm sure. Yeah, no, you're good. I think people won't really know what I'm talking about, but anyways, um, he, um, and, you know, how he's trying to, you know, he's kind of at the end of his life, the master of the tower. Miyazaki's also at the end of his life. I mean, this is his first movie in 10 years. Um, and his last movie, everybody thought he was going to retire, right? The wind rises. I haven't seen it, but I heard that it was kind of a very monumental, like almost like my maestro type of like finish. But he came out of retirement to do a short uh back in like 2016 or 2017 and then he eventually started to work on this project and this there was like seven years of development went into this movie obviously though it got really elongated because of covid pandemic and all that stuff Miyazaki wasn't sure he was going to finish it in time and then he eventually released and it truly is his final film i don't think Miyazaki's going to make another one the man is now 82 years old and as one uh, reviewer put it in uh, indiewire's review it is Miyazaki kind of making uh, coming to peace with his own death in, the, in that sense and that that movie is kind of like a message about how it's you know um Miyazaki's like uh, legacy it was a very personal film from what um the the review in IndieWire was saying that it kind of like paralleled a lot with Miyazaki's life and there was a lot of connections that you could draw to uh, the man in the tower more specifically uh to um overall the uh, uh like it, 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 especially around the theme of kind of like creating legacies you know Miyazaki has four many many years been entertaining us with these like fantastical worlds and all within his head that he always just you know turns out he's made so many movies and all these like animated worlds that he's created and um and you know this is kind of his sign off and in so many ways it's um passing down the torch you know what is his legacy going to be kind of thing so that's what i mean by uh meta oh dude love the thought that went into that Mm mm-hmm Love that was yeah that was thorough man okay wait so did you like it I did really like it so <laughs> so by your by your reaction it did not seem like you like it you know. I didn't say anything <laughs> I could, you know face says a thousand words there Palmer so uh, okay I'm gonna... um now I'm curious about your thoughts you know give it to me like what uh, what did you think of the boy and the heron. 
<laughs> um, in one word, confused. Confused. Confusing. I mean, that is definitely fair. Charlie. Okay, mind you, I've watched pretty much every Studio Ghibli film ever created. I've watched, you know, a bunch of the Miyazaki movies. In addition to the Lupin movie that he did, like, what is it, The Count of Cagliostro or something like that. Mm. So I am very familiar with his work. I had some high expectations. And um, so, like I said, uh, basically, I go into this theater. There's about four or five other people. I'm like, perfect. Nobody's going to talk. It's just going to be me locking in. I'm so excited. I had... No idea about this movie until you told me, I guess, last week or two weeks ago. So I had no previous knowledge of what this was even going to be remotely about, except for I imagined a boy and a heron. You got an all-star voice cast. Um, and I, so I saw it in dub, not sub. Same. Um, and I was just very, very excited just to, to dive into a brand new world. And uh, I'm sitting there for like, I guess it was like almost two hours or two hours and some change. And there was a moment in my mind where I genuinely questioned, did I fall asleep for like five to ten minutes and wake up and just, I have no idea what's going on now. I've never seen this in my life. There was a guy who was five like chairs down from me. He, he stood up like maybe three quarters of the way through the film. And I said, that's interesting. If he had to go to the bathroom, he'd probably be a little bit faster. But I said, there's no way he would just walk out, right? And I'm sitting there. And so... <laughs> He grabs his drink, and I said, from the sound of it, there's still plenty of liquid in there. I think he's going to leave. And gosh darn it, didn't he walk right out and never come back? Wow. I then, yeah, I know. I And That's I didn't shocking. see it with anybody. I saw it by myself, so I had nobody to debrief with, but I was listening. <laughs> so sad. I was listening like, like a stalker to these other people who were behind me walking out. And people were like, yeah, that, um... I was a little all over the place. They uh, <laughs> they had some uh, a lot of ideas there, and I was like, "Yes, yes, Charlie." I so like appreciate the perspective that your friend had when it comes to Meta and the Man in the Tower being Miyazaki. But gosh darn, man! I mean, I'm not gonna like use any spoilers, but I was just trying to understand the like the logic behind some of the actions of some of the characters. The world didn't feel like it was fully fleshed out. The animation was fire, as it always is. As yep. it always is. And I literally left that film. Like, I've never not enjoyed a Studio Ghibli film. I've never really... There have been times, like Licorice Pizza, when I left the theater just like, why did I sit there and watch that? <laughs> but I hate to be the person to say that. They say this. I think I enjoyed Licorice Pizza more than this film. Wow. Which is, and you know, that's crazy. you know, I did not like that movie. I know you did not. So, that's wild. I, uh, you really didn't like this movie. Charlie, I said to, I literally, like, I was talking to myself when I got back to my apartment, and I was like, how did they make that a movie? Like, how is that, how is that released to the public? It just felt like they could, like, who, who approved it? Who said this? And I was like, maybe something got lost in the dub. Like, maybe there was something I'm missing, because I know that happens sometimes. But I was so genuinely confused for the, the majority of it. And it just felt like there was, like, elements that were stacked on top of each other. Like, oh, there's, like, this meteor that came and established this tower. And here's the, the granduncle. And his mom died in a fire. And there was just, like, a lot going on. There's and a lot I, going on. And, and we could unpack it. Yeah, okay. You know I, I never really up. got that terribly confused. I was able to basically predict a lot of like who these quote unquote like reveal characters were like I knew immediately um that oh, we're that in spoiler was... territory no we'll be I, I we won't go into spoilers yet but we'll get there we'll get there um, okay, okay 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 um so let's unpack this movie Palmer so yeah, unpack, unpack, Lennis, unpack. Uh, <laughs> let's start with you all right okay um so the first half of this movie so I would I would safely put this movie kind of into two parts, right? The first part yes. of the movie is less of that magical element that is very common with uh, Miyazaki movies. I haven't seen The Wind Rises, but from what I understand, it's kind of like a it's like almost like a biographical film of someone. I I don't know how much uh, fantasy elements are in th in that movie. Um, but a lot of his movies, for the most part, from like Kiki's Delivery Service, Porco Rosso, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, or whatever, My Neighbor Totoro, yeah. they all have kind of these like 
fantastical kind of elements, right? There's always like fantasy elements, the worlds to um, explore. It's not necessarily like one to one with Earth, you know. Like um, there's always like some type of adventure and some type of type of journey to be had. But the first half of this movie doesn't really seem like it has that. It's pretty grounded in that sense. Um, what I did find was interesting, and I noticed this almost immediately in another reviewer that I was reading uh, also noticed this, and I'm not 100% sure on the significance, but um, I did find it interesting that when uh, Mahito uh, you know, moves from Tokyo out into the countryside with his dad, and like he marries um, someone else who, as Mahito describes, looks a lot like his mom, because... Minor spoiler alert. Uh, his dad remarries his mother's sister, or Mahito's sister, or Mahito's mom's sister. Mahito's so. mom's sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, How do you feel about that, too, by the way? <laughs> honestly, that was a little strange to me. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I saw someone write that that seemed like Freudian, like, in a way, like, you know, marrying the sister of your uh, wife who passed away, which is not a spoiler because that happens within the first 10 seconds of the movie. Uh, or at least you learn that information because it's actually told through us through a dream in the beginning of the movie. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so the, that's basically the introductory of the film is that you learn that Mahito's uh, mother dies in a fire at the hospital in Tokyo and that he's moved out into the countryside with his father and now new mother or mother-in-law, which is um, the sister of Mahito's deceased uh, mom. Um, mother, yep. When homegirl said, call me mom. Yeah. I like didn't, I was not about it. And she was pregnant and already, so, like, moving quickly, moving quickly. Um, Very much so. I actually don't know how quickly he, like, got remarried, but it was a little strange. I would agree. That was weird, and I'm not 100% sure what that was for or why that was kind of, like, in the film like that. But um, it also doesn't seem to me that Mahito is aware that it's his mom's sister. But, because it's not made super clear if he knows that or not. Um, he seems to connect the dots towards the end of the movie because he just outright like says it. But um, yeah, I wasn't really sure if he knew the whole time or what have you. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he did just because some of the uh, like older women alluded to the fact that they knew his mom when she yeah. was younger, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, I think that's like mom's house. It was kind of like. That portrayed as though it was like a mystery though like something that was 100 percent like clear like you had to kind of like piece it together that that um was you know that's his sister or his mom's sister and that that she grew up in this house um i did find it interesting though that there was like a very like he stayed in a very western influenced room versus you know when he was in tokyo he slept in a very you know japanese style room and the house that they moved to is kind of a mixture of both when they first get there he likes walks up towards the main entrance the one that is quote-unquote never used and you can see all the maids and everything kind of living in that typical japanese housing that you're you know probably most familiar with if you've ever consumed any type of media or been to japan uh versus like the western uh like you know kind of 1940s architecture um, from like Western Europe, uh, which is where his bed was and where he seemed to stay with his mother-in-law and father while everyone else stayed in the Japanese traditional style house. So I thought that was an interesting kind of contrast. I don't know if you have any thoughts surrounding that. I was going to say, well, I'm just thinking about your whole meta analysis, I guess, from mm-hmm. earlier. And assuming that that is correct mm-hmm. and that the... I guess, what is it, the granduncle is supposed to represent Miyazaki, and I guess Mahito represents, like, a, a newcomer. Do you think that it signals that Miyazaki's training is based more in traditional Japanese filmmaking, and that this newer person is probably going to be influenced by the West in terms of their so, approach? I don't know if Miyazaki himself is supposed to be the the man in the the like the the man in the tower, because, like, I feel like the whole movie can kind of, Miyazaki is, like, presenting some type of like image of himself 
uh, whether that's like through Mahito or other characters. And I don't think there's a singular character that's necessarily a stand-in. And like when my friend made that analysis, I just thought he was kind of saying what more the master of the tower was saying, like the message that he was trying to convey to Mahito towards like the end of the film and throughout like his presence on screen and kind of how that can relate to uh, how like Miyazaki is, you know, views the works that he has done throughout his life and how, um, you know, his legacy will kind of be interpreted as, and, you know, um, as mentioned before, you know, kind of making peace with his like kind of own death, you know, his demise is like inevitable in his coming. And as much as he wants to kind of continue to like create and maintain like all these like fantasy worlds that are kind of probably tracked within his head, I'm sure he's many more stories that he wants to tell that like it's time for him to kind of pass the torch down. Um, mm. So. I don't know if that curse of genius. I don't know if like yeah, this is the curse of genius. I don't know <laughs> if like he is necessarily the man in the tower because um, I saw someone else write, and I think it was like the Hollywood Reporter that um, there's a lot of similarities between like you know the experiences that Mahito has with Miyazaki's early life. So, um, oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say that I uh, so I was as I was doing some research after <clears throat> and before seeing this movie. I saw that a lot of people, at least on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, agreed with you, and they liked this movie a lot. So, uh, <laughs> really, I thought audiences didn't like it as much. I heard someone, Brian was telling me that she had a friend who likes these kinds of movies and went and saw it but didn't like it. Um, okay, let's go. That's what I'm. That's I like that person. I'm sorry. I like. <laughs> I'm telling you, I love Studio Ghibli. I've never not liked a movie, which is why this is so surprising to me. Mm-hmm. As Especially because Miyazaki literally came out of retirement. So I was like, oh, this is going to be something crazy. This is maybe going to be like another spirited away. And if he's at peace with it, you know what? I'm happy for him. But uh, I need some answers here. I need <laughs> some uh, some answers. Specifically because uh, one of the things that I guess I noticed first and foremost is that you don't often have like a young male protagonist in no, you his don't. movies. Like, usually it's like a female. So that was... The first, not that like, I don't mind. I love seeing my men's out here doing their things, but um, that was the thing that caught me kind of by surprise. And then thinking about the character of Mahito, I was like, how would I describe him? Because, I mean, you have like you know Nausicaa, you have Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. uh, you have Jahiro, Kiki. I mean, there are like, and even Sophie from House Moving Cat. Like these are clearly defined individuals who I could described to you like pretty thoroughly but Mahito just kind of didn't really have that same depth I found um as I watched and as he made certain decisions what uh what did you think um I think he kind of does um because to me Mahito seems um like a selfish tween when we first meet him you know, somebody who, uh, you know, doesn't really come to terms with the loss that he's had. I, I it, it, it sounds like, you know, his mother died probably a, a little over like a year ago or something around those lines. And he has obviously kind of been uh, not someone who gets over that. He, he's clearly not over that. Right. And he doesn't really see he doesn't like that his father's kind of moved on already when he very much hasn't i mean we open up the, the beginning of the film literally opens up with him having a nightmare like I, at first i thought that that was what was actually happening but when he's running through the streets everyone except himself is kind of like these shadowy oily figures which made it imply that it was a dream and we see that later on he has more nightmares and dreams or another nightmare about the event that or the night that his mother dies in the ho- a hospital fire um so like he clearly is traumatized by it he's young he doesn't really know how to process grief very well obviously like he's a kid and i think um because of that like he doesn't really understand why his father has moved on to such a degree where he's like remarried the, uh, you know his deceased mother's sister and um and i think because of that he's like kind of can 
be characterized as a little like selfish. You know, he doesn't really care about his father's happiness. He just only really cares about his own happiness. You know, like he doesn't, he's not really considering what his father's been, what his father went through, you know, and how he's moving on and how he's kind of dealt with that. He's really just focused on himself and he kind of takes out that self loathing or like that grief on everyone around him. And eventually on himself. Eventually on himself, too. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the movie, I think his arc is to overcome that selfishness in a sense. Like, you know, because the second half of the movie, he goes on that mission. That mission, that fantastical fantasy world mission that we are kind of really typically see in a Miyazaki film. Yeah. And I think for me, it also took a little bit longer to get into that. So, yeah. like... A lot of times you're already in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, For Spirited Away, I mean, literally, that was probably one where you have to get to it. But in the first, you know, five, ten minutes, they walk through the train station thing and they're basically there. And then her parents turn into pigs. So, yeah, that was like a very, you know, it was it wasn't so much about the buildup. It was just about the story afterwards. And I think they probably were trying to differentiate the two because they are kind of similar in some regards. Like Jihiro in Spirited Away was trying to get her parents back. And in this, Mahito is trying to get his mother aunt back. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, like, kind of similar. But um, I guess I just wasn't so interested in the the previous event. Like, I mean, I think it was the dream sequence is really cool. That was one thing I really did like um, early on in the movie. But just after that, I didn't really need to know about the personalities of the all the like the women in the house. And, like, that tobacco was, uh, you know, like, a <laughs> scarce resource. Like, these are things I was, I was like, I don't know. And then, so we were focusing on that, and we didn't really necessarily get so much about, in the first time in this episode, I'm introducing the heron. Yes. Because um, Nahi, uh, Mahito's mother aunt, mother aunt Natsuko basically said, oh, yeah, that heron's just always around. And so, it, like, literally, it was weird because... And, this was something I had trouble with early on in the movie. I couldn't tell the sequences when he was dreaming slash when he was awake because sometimes the heron would fly and would speak in English and he didn't react. He was just saying, oh, like, get away from me, Mr. Heron. But uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, if a heron started talking to me in, in real life, like, that might be a, a little startling. So that kind of wasn't, it didn't feel fully fleshed out. And then by the time the heron does really come through, it just it felt like it kind of had, had to rush some parts that I would have liked them to spend more time on. They spent more time on parts I would have liked them to rush through. So I was conflicted there. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know, okay, in terms of the heron, first off, what did you think of Robert Pattinson's performance as the gray heron? I mean, it was pretty good because I didn't really recognize that that was Robert Pattinson. Right? He did yeah. a pretty good job with, like, uh, almost kind of like a gross character in a way because the heron is like you know you think it's just like this beautiful heron but then like it starts talking and it becomes this more grotesque ugly monster and then you realize it's a man inside a heron or that like he uses as like a disguise or something yep. Uh, yep. so um yeah he I, I don't know I thought he did well I thought he did great what do you think? Okay, I agree. I didn't even realize it. Like you said, I didn't realize it was him until I went back. And I was like, oh, I wonder who Robert Pattinson was. So that was uh tip my hat off to him there. Um, just from the – like just thinking about the Heron, I genuinely thought because this, this movie was called The Boy and the Heron that he'd probably be a bit more of a central figure than he ended up – like it felt like they kind of brought him in and then took him away and then brought him in and took him away. I was like, is he here or is he not? And I'm not going to lie to you also <laughs> – just still very early on, I guess maybe like 20, 25% into the movie, when um, Aito starts going on this little adventure and the older woman starts coming with him, like the little house like woman, uh, I was praying to God that she would turn back because I said, I do not feel like having to deal with this woman for the entirety of this movie. Like, just let, let this man Mahito do his thing. <laughs> so uh, I didn't feel that some of these characters were as in- endearing as some of the other Studio Ghibli ones, coupled with the fact that even by the end, I couldn't really tell if the Heron was good or bad. I didn't necessarily understand his relationship with the the man in the tower or the, the, the Yeah, thing. that was definitely a part where I was still confused about like 
um, a who is this guy? Like, who is this Heron, and why? Did, like, because Mahito mentions at one point in the film that, like, you know, I want to find you all out in the world and like be friends, right? Like when, but the Heron obviously goes back and forth between these worlds. I don't know his relationship between the master and um yeah i like what the heron's relationship is with the master of the tower if i had to guess based on like some of the like some of the subtext that you know the master tried to create like a beautiful world which is why you know he brings things like parakeets in but all he does is cause disorder and chaos because the parakeets in his fantastical world are like militant soldiers who are like the ruling party and they like eat humans or whatever and like they want to like everything bro yeah they're like hyper intelligent and it's just if i had to guess that the heron was like kind of uh an unintended creation of the world that he was like that the master of the tower uh was trying to um you know create like a more harmonious peaceful world and every time that he did though he saw disorder and ruin which is like why you know spoilers again like mahito like he tries to pass the torch down to mahito to be the one who creates and like maintains the balance of these worlds because he thinks that he doesn't have malice so you know the heron could be potentially just um uh, maybe a reflection of a part of what the master of the tower was you know in some regard from his like past lives when he lived on in earth and like you know coming in here because it's clear that um mahito is almost kind of like that young innocent youth versus you know the wise old man who uh you know has had a lot of experiences in life so yeah yeah and one thing i do love that they always do a lot Especially thinking about again, spirited away with Ubaba, the like witch. Mm. They love making like like stout characters like fly and just making them like just animating them like yeah. as like little chubby things with like small wings, but they're still staying airborne. Like that's just hilarious to me. <laughs> he does love doing oh, that, man. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like, and then he also he loves a good train, a good boat, like a good little vehicle. So uh that was He loves all those he loves all the environments too cuz yeah there's like that giant boat as you mentioned that they like stay in and you know they sail through and like you learn a little bit more about the world that you know has been created there like these phantoms and Yeah, I kind of wanted to I guess just ask you in comparison to some of the other fantastical world worlds that Miyazaki's created. How did you feel about this one? Um, it was left a little bit more ambiguous, I think, compared to some of his other worlds, because I feel like so much of his other movies really focus in on, like, the world is more of a character in his other movies versus this one. Like, I do still think the world is a character here, um, but it's, like, used as kind of, like, a different purpose. It's more of, like, a metaphor for um like you know inspiration and creation which you know could be like goes back to those autobiographical biographical like elements that kind of exist without throughout this film because it certainly seems to i mean i I was just quickly looking at the wikipedia um and they mentioned there that you know mahito is modeled after miyazaki's childhood Um, apparently miyazaki lost his mother in a very similar way to how mahito did so um yeah so like i do think there's definitely a lot of autobiographical elements within this film so i think you can almost even call it a theme of of the movie Uh, i see what you did there i see what you did there Mm -hmm. did you have any like questions about the world that still linger that you would have liked answered and um yeah so i mean it's really interesting right i don't know like if you picked up on this and i wonder if this is where your confusion is because the movie does get hard i think to follow once it gets to the second half of the movie i want to i want to roughly estimate that it takes like about an hour to get them into like the fantasy world um which doesn't really have a name it's just it just kind of exists um and the um but like all this 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 world existed outside of time basically like you did you did you get that like it was it was i did i did okay. i did yeah yeah because yeah. my they explain I, uh, yeah. like yeah 
Yeah. yeah, it was. I get, I think can see people not being 100, percent you know, on the money with like that one because, like, yeah, <laughs> it is a little confusing. I would agree with. You. I also was just like so early on when Mike gets there, he is basically kind of what's the best word? He's like all these pelicans basically like storm him, and they start going to this graveyard that nobody ever talks about again. They're just like, oh, the spirit, we can't let the spirits out of the graveyard. And the pelicans are just there. And they kind of get like a little into a little bit more detail about the pelicans later on. But then they introduce these like waka waka something. Walla like, wawa like, wawas or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they say that they're going to go be born. Like there are these like little, I guess, spirits waru, that they waru. feed. Waru waru is out there. Okay. Yeah, the little waru waru are spirits that they feed. And apparently, like, other spirits can't catch fish. Only humans can. And so they feed them. They get big and strong. And then they float up to the world to be born as children. And the pelicans survive by eating them. So I'm like, so they're just eating, like, unborn ch- Like, what happens? Do those just never become people? Do they, like, kind of, like, come back, like, get revived elsewhere? They just, you know, act as as food for a little while and then just come back and they got to eat again to get big and strong. I like, had to of, assume that they just didn't become Ding. people. Yeah. Roe v. Wade. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Like, you're telling me that these were supposed to be humans that just did But then, like, what's the relationship between the spirit world and the real world? Because yeah. when you die, do you go back to the spirit world? or go to the spirit world are all humans like from the spirit world what is the relationship of the man like in the tower and like that like is he not say god but like what like i just i couldn't wrap my head around any of that (laughs) i mean these are great questions i mean um and i mean in a way i feel like yeah he is almost god like right because i mean he is and isn't it seems that like the the tower that he resides in I mean like it's not like his power like he's using the power of the tower like it's a meteorite and like there's definitely fantastical elements not all questions are you know need to be answered here um but with the amount of like uh universes that are like connected through those doors in the tower and like via different like timelines and mm-hmm. um uh because obviously, yes, there are multiple timelines that the the even connecting to Earth. So, um, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really have a lot of like answers as to like you know like how the relationship between Earth and uh, this this world between time, I guess, kind of like coexist. Because yeah, that was an interesting call out about like yeah, the Waru Waru. You know, once they make it to the surface, they you know they go to become people. And I'm like, but I'm like, how else does this world interact? You know, no, true. And then, like, it almost seems like the dead go there, though. It was almost like implied because that's the graveyard, right? Yeah. Am I crazy? And then it's like, so if 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 something say happens to this world, does that mean nobody new gets born? Like, what's what's happening there? And also, the parakeets come in from that world. Same with the pelicans, because when they are released, the parakeets turn back from like their humanoid versions of themselves. Back to just normal parakeets, and also the seagulls be- less become less of like these weird monsters that eat the waru-waru and just come back and be normal pelicans. So like, yeah, it's a weird kind yeah. of connection. <sighs> See, Charlie, these were all questions that were. I'm telling you, I was really trying. I was, I was committed. I okay, it felt like, and this is the only way I can describe it. You remember in Fairly Odd Parents mm. when they're at Escalator Land and like, Dad, when do we get to the ride? This is the ride. I was like, when do we get to the central plot? And then I was like, oh, wait, this is the central this plot. Is the central I thought something plot. was going to happen. Like, jeez. I was just like, oh, okay, I guess that we're here. We're in this now. So, uh, huh, buddy, buddy. Okay, well, let's discuss, I guess, like, you want to start getting a little bit of a spoiler territory? Getting a little spoiler territory. And we've danced around it enough. Um, so, essentially, what we come to find out is that this the man in this tower, whomever it is, is the granduncle of uh, Mahito's mother. I guess making him his great-granduncle. Mm-hmm. And from what I understood, there was this, like, meteor that he, like, crashed into Earth. He found it. 
became fascinated with it, built this whole tower system around it, and then disappeared, never to be seen again. But little does everybody realize he's in the tower. Does that mean that, like, he, I was trying to figure out, like, should he be alive still? Like, was he just aging slower? Yeah, so I wasn't sure if, like, he... It seems like it's that that world existed in a sna- like a freeze of time, right? Because... We learned throughout in the movie that Mahito's mother disappears for a year and comes back with no memory at all about where she was, but with the biggest grin on her face. But we learned that the events that were happening during the time Mahito was in the world was that period of time that she was gone for a year because she just goes back to her life. So I'm curious if... It sounds like what we learn about the great granduncle who plays, who's played by Mark Hamill. So I'm going to just say Mark Hamill's character. Um, okay, I like it. And then, because um, he doesn't have a name outside of great granduncle, master of the tower. So it's just going to be easier to say Mark Hamill's character. <laughs> um, <laughs> what we learn is that he spends a lot of time in that tower before he quote unquote disappears. Like, he reads a lot, of, a lot of books. People say he goes insane. Then one day he just ups and vanishes with, like, books on his, uh, you know, still opened on his desk. And they find that there were tunnels and stuff throughout the tower or whatever. So I do think he was that age when he disappeared and he just hadn't aged at all. Uh, because okay. everyone else is kind of, like, frozen in time from when they first entered the tower. And, like time there works very very independently from time on earth um which is why he's still alive because he's been there for however many years but on like on earth but in like the the reality of that world he might have only been there for like a week you know we don't know so Mm, okay um yeah yeah no see that was uh a hair a hair confusing for me Coupled with the fact that essentially the way this world works is this man has a series of blocks that are in various shapes. You have some, you know, pyramids. You got some, uh, I know my shapes, uh, cylinders. Some spheres. Uh, like <laughs> exactly. And he has to balance these, I believe, every three days. But I didn't get it. So when they fall out of balance, essentially the world will crumble apart. Yeah. Is that what you understood? I think, yeah, I think that was a metaphor for, I don't know the delicacy of nature okay um, i like that that sounds you know, very intelligent still cooking that one but um yeah let it permeate let it, uh, <laughs> it's on 350 it's on 350 we just got to put on an extra 15 minutes on the timer yeah i like it mm-hmm. so but i mean i had to think <laughs> no, that, that I, was some yeah. some type of like the fragile like the fragility of earth and how like nature works in some ways Okay, I can I can jam with on jam on that. Um, but maybe not. So he he I guess he knew he was dying. I don't even know if he was dying slash. He just felt like he could no longer maintain the order. Yeah, it sounded like he, he just couldn't it do it anymore. Better. Like he just everything that he because he mentioned. There's a line in that in the movie where he um, talks about it's like I can no longer maintain this. The only thing I create is order and chaos. Like, you know, and that's why he was talking to Mahito to be like, I want you to take over for me because he's like, you're pure. You have, you know, a whole life ahead of you. You're like incredibly imaginative, you know, headstrong and whatever. And like Mahito, I think is like hesitant because um, he doesn't want that responsibility. Right. And B, he's been selfish. He knows that he's been selfish in this movie. Like he even makes reference to his scar. Which is like kind of a symbol of like his past self in the way that like he had a heart full of malice and bad intentions. And he points to it. He's like, this is a symbol of the malice that I had. Um, so like when I remember, doesn't he like touch the blocks first and like it creates like some mal- like malignant almost reaction like Mahito? Like the first time he touches it? I think it? so. Because um, as his... As Mark Hamill's character like explained, he had to basically search the entirety of, I guess, the universe, space, and time, and could only find like thirteen other blocks mm-hmm. that weren't didn't have any malice. But yeah, it interacted with him when he uh, touched it initially. So I was like, oh boy, mm-hmm. uh, messy, messy. 
And honestly, malice is something that kind of permeates throughout this. I'm use permeate twice. Let's go, Jordan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> permeates throughout this movie. Um, in terms of just the fact that um, so. This is just like a side scene, but I don't know. You were just describing another scene, and it came to me. Um, essentially, uh, Mahito's aunt mother, Natsuko, she was taken to the world, which is ultimately what causes him to go there initially. Yeah. And she's going to give birth in the other world, and he's going to save her, mm. and he gets to her, and he's like, hey, like we got to go home. And she's screaming like, no, screaming at him. She then proceeds to scream, I hate you. And I... I, I mean, once again, another problem I have with this movie, because this whole time this woman was nothing but kind to him. She was like, call me mother. And then it kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, like you know, she had any animosity from being in the world. Maybe maybe that's what I was supposed to interpret. Like, by being in that world, more animosity comes out than in the, like, the real world. I don't know. But it just felt like that was – I had a disconnect there. And then he said – he called her mother. And she's like, oh – Wait, we're cool. And I I mean, how do you believe what? Like how do you believe someone who said call you like they wanted to be called mother, you said no, then they said they hated you, and then you called the mother and like, oh wait, we're cool. Like I just I don't know, it didn't feel authentic. Yeah, so I'm wondering if the way that Mahito behaved in the first half of the movie um kind of clearly showed to um his uh stepmother um that (laughs) like she or he doesn't like her and um so she was trying to be nice and all that stuff but like deep down she knew that mahito didn't respect her like her want her around kind of thing and um then so like yeah i think there might be some level of yeah maybe like the that world changes them in some regard to because i mean mahito's biological mother has powers in the in the in the movie or like you know i'm glad you brought that up bro i'm glad you brought that up um <laughs> uh, please expand upon your, your thought because i i mean i do think there's like some type of like effect that clearly you know has on people in in this in this world i don't know um because i think in a way, when Mahito enters, Mahito goes in there because he is just trying to save his mother-in-law, right? Um, or not mother-in-law, mother, stepmother, John, <laughs> who I'm forgetting the name <laughs> of the character's name. Natsuko. Natsuko, yeah. That's her name. <clears throat> um, and he goes in there, but like he 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 doesn't he like he says before he goes into like the actual tower with the heron and he gets like trapped by the master and he gets like pulled through the floor that he's just like I don't really care about like her but like I'm just kind of I'm just like doing it I'm the only one who can or something like along those lines um he but like ultimately he says he doesn't necessarily care but I think when he gets there um he like has a transformation in a way um oh as to what causes it i don't really know it is left ambiguous as to kind of like the reaction that uh natsuko has in that uh in her bed chamber versus you know mahito's larger drive to save her versus you know before where he's just kind of going through the motions to do it um and like that yeah, I mean, I fully didn't really, like, grasp, like, what 100% was going on there, but it was clear that, like, there was a moment of acceptance between the both of them that, like, you know, Mahito's accepting of, you know, her place in the uh, his new family, and, like, she's accepting almost, in a way, his apology. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's not... I Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, while I did enjoy this movie, there is, like, for sure moments that are confusing like this in particular i'm still trying to wrap my head around like why exactly uh natsuko like behaved that way for like a brief split second in time like a like i wasn't sure if like the elements in that room were like causing her to behave in a way it's left it's a left up in the air and it's never explained so yeah yeah and you mentioned something earlier about um, I guess her name is Himi, mm-hmm. but it's uh, Mahito's mother, who's a little girl in this mm-hmm. and has fire powers. Um, 
cool. Like, I mean, <laughs> I love awesome. I, I love powers. I mean, exactly. I love it. Like, I don't really know why she has them, and uh, I'm not gonna lie. So, towards the end of the movie. Uh, you know, I'm not going to jump the gun. Just just remember we said powers because that's coming back. But, um, yeah, no, I was uh, sometimes like just felt like some of the like character development, like like that scene with uh, the uh, aunt mother slash stepmother um, felt a little rushed. Also, towards the end, and you, you mentioned this before, um, basically Mahito's talking to slash about the heron. And he's saying that, oh, yeah, we're friends. And the heron's like, oh, we're friends. Mind you. This entire movie, this man has been nothing but a d bag. <laughs> Literally, yeah, like, said, I'm gonna kill you. No, but then he starts You're helping like... him, like, on his own fruition. In a way, I mean, sort of. Okay. The master of the tower, or Mark Hamill's character, tells him to be his like Mahito's guide. But like the heron at first doesn't really obey. Then, but then suddenly has a change of heart at some point in the story and starts obeying that. That's what I'm saying. I was like, and I didn't understand what caused that. And then it's like a friend. This is a friend. No, this is an opportunist out here. This man is only using you. And, and it reminded me a little bit of um, Howl's Moving Castle because in that movie, basically, the Witch of the Way, this is in the, in the beginning of the movie, turns this girl Sophie into this old lady. And the whole movie, she's trying to undo this curse. And there's a scene where Sophie's walking up this long A flight of stairs, and the Witch of the Waste is too, but the stairs negate magic, and the witch is having some trouble. And then freaking Sophie gets to the top and it's like, come on, Witch of the Waste, you can do it. I said, why are we cheering on the woman who has brought us so much misery? Like, that's what happened again here. Why is that our friend? But who am I? Who am I? I'm sorry. This movie got my blood boiling a little bit in some yeah. way. So I'm going to kick that soapbox out from under my feet here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess as the movie's coming to a conclusion... Uh, we find out that, A, the parakeets, as you said, humanoid parakeets are kind of bad. And I didn't really understand the point of the parakeet king. Like, he didn't agree with Mark Hamill's character and how, basically, the other world should be passed on to somebody. And so he w- Mind you, this is, like, a, a big dude. Mm-hmm. And he's sneaking behind them and nobody... <laughs> they have the whole stretch. Do you remember that, like, that little yeah. <laughs> sequence where they're walking across water on these, like, little blocks... And, like, there's no cover. Like, if you just turned around for one second, you would see this giant parakeet man walking. But nobody does. And then he rolls up at the most pivotal moment where they're trying to figure out who's going to, like, get this world next and lead it. And he touches the little, uh, like, blocks and he corrupts them. And the world starts to fall apart. Did you... I just want to know, like... Did you? Did that even make sense? Did, did, how, did, how did you just... What did you think? How did you feel? Did you were you mad at the Parakeet King? Were you mad at Mark Campbell's character? Were you mad at Mahito? Were you mad at nobody? And you were like, this makes sense. I was just like kind of just on for the ride. I mean, honestly, that that sequence was hilarious. I think it was more to just be kind of like comedic relief in the moment up to this kind of like almost climactic scene uh between um Mahito, Mark Hamill's character, and the Parakeet King. Um <clears throat> and Mimi's there, or is it me? Yeah, Mimi's there. Mimi, Mimi. Um, yeah, and uh, and like, mother, oh, and the heron is just chilling in the back. Um, <laughs> oh, you're right, he was there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think the parakeet king was kind of. I mean, like he was self interested really like he clearly had like a history with the man in the the tower um he they i guess they had a lot of like a past relationship this was just this was kind of given away and by the way like they interacted with each other and the influence that the parakeet king and his parakeet uh had in the realm uh, like they're soldiers, <laughs> uh, and like you know they're escorting Hemi to the. I guess like as a hostage. Like I have no idea. Yes. And yeah, like, I know they're like, what are they trading information her. for? Like I don't know. Um, clearly, that was left a little bit more ambiguous, and it could be along the lines of like uh, maybe the man in the. Mark Hamill's character, maybe he had talked to the Parakeet King up before about finding a successor for um, looking over, like, his power of creation, like, his power of the world. 
and um the parakeet king maybe he like did not like the parakeet king wanted that but didn't get it and ultimately like he needed to force the hand because it was looking out for his people and so when he found out that he was going to give it to mahito um he like was like what the heck you're gonna leave it to this kid like our world's about to end you know we need to do something and he just builds the thing himself in hopes that he can do it but i think it was supposed to showcase that no not anybody can do this like you wouldn't have been able to succeed um because like in a way he had probably like malice like in his own heart like he was like selfish self-centered looked out only for i mean he did look out for his people i guess but maybe his own self-interest and being a king and being you know wanting this power kind of corrupted that and the world starts to break apart so Mm, okay, that was more insightful than I uh, remembered it being. So that was, that was a good analysis there. Uh, yeah, because I was just like, here comes this mofo. Up, oh, up, oh, here we go. Yep, just like I thought. This whole thing is going to collapse. Mm-hmm. They're all going to have to run out. So as you said, it all collapses. Everybody start running out, finding doors. And as I mentioned before, I'm glad I finally get to have this full circle moment with Himi. Because the entire time, I knew... I knew that was Mahito's mother. I was like, okay, I guess. And I didn't understand if he knew or not because he wasn't really acting like it was his mom. He was acting like it was a little girl. But I'm like, bro, you have all the clues. A, they said that she disappeared for a year. B, like, who else could it be? Because only, like, people who are blood-related to um, the guy, the Mark Hamill's character could really be going up in there. So I'm like, you... Although I guess technically the, like, house servant, like, kind of did too. But... It seemed like it seemed like it was his mom. So they're getting towards the end of the movie. Like the movie, everything's collapsing. They're running towards their doors, and then he says to Himi, "Come with me," and she says, "No, I can't do that. I have to go out of my door so I can be your mother." He looks her dead in the face and says, "You're going to die. You're going to burn up." And she says, "You know I don't. I'm not afraid of fire." I said, "What? <laughs> what? You know you're gonna die?" <laughs> like. Charlie, Charlie, there's a million things you can do now. You know it's going to happen. You can avoid it altogether. Be like, what kind of line is that? Well, it's implied that she has no memory of the event because we know (gasps) that she doesn't remember when she gets back out because she goes missing for a year and doesn't remember. Okay, that's fair and something I didn't consider. But at the same time, I mean, I need to write that down. I need to make sure I remember. That's like the most memorable (laughs) thing. (laughs) Goodness gracious. You can't just forget. Like, oh my gosh, Charlie. I wanted to slap myself out there. I was like, what is is happening? Like, oh, that just, I don't know why that that didn't know. It's just like, save her. Like, we we really didn't do it. I mean, we saved our our aunt mother, stepmother. Sorry, I keep calling her aunt mother. Um, but like we didn't, we didn't say the one we really cared about. Like, ah, ah, ah. I mean, you don't always need a movie that has like, like a happy ending, a good ending. But at the same time, like, gosh darn. Among other things, like if y'all could have just given me that, I would have been like, you know what? You know, I I feel Actually, like Miyazaki intentionally didn't want to do that because I don't think he, because in a way, this movie starts off with how Mahito's character is kind of consumed with grief to the point where he becomes very selfish. And I think by the end of this movie, letting his mother go, knowing the fate that's in store for her, um, is kind of an acceptance of the reality that he lives in and kind of overcoming the grief that he has and kind of accepting the place that him and his family find themselves in, um, in their current world. So, Mm. okay. That's a a good little bow to wrap that up there. Uh, I will say, though, also, so his dad, who's voiced by Christian Bale, like, found out that he was missing. Homeboy grabbed a whole sword. I said, sir, if you don't sit down and, like, just find something. (laughs) Dude, that guy had everything. He was just, he was packing. He was ready to fight a war. (laughs) I was like, and then, like, the crazy thing is he saw, like, Mahito was holding on to the door, and he saw his dad. And then goes back and I was just... He's uh, like, Mahito turned into uh, a parakeet. <laughs> Although Christian Bale, once again, I'm, I'm glad he like took on their role because that was pretty funny uh, for him to like do that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, dude, dude. like, Okay, so the whole world ends. He gets out. I guess he's now cool with his, his stepmother slash aunt mother. Um, and the movie... Okay, I'm just like fast forwarding for one second. The movie ends with him saying, like, two years later, we return to Tokyo. 
and that was it. What? Char- Charlie. Because Char- I think Charlie. it was, you know, the time that he spent away from Tokyo was in a way like to be a transformative period and like coming back at the end of the, coming back to Tokyo at the very end, I think shows that they did kind of, you know, accept their situation and are able to return to the, to a place where they had a very different, like family, like they, they basically added two different family members to the crew, you know, cause the, the kids born from, you know, his brother, his little brother, I guess is born. Um, it's like his cousin brother, bro. Like Whatever. these people all have Half these two names. Like, Whatever. Golly. You know what I mean? And then you know. Yeah, I know, but it's weird still. <laughs> it's like it's your cousin brother. Like, do you call? Oh, no, no, no. Maybe there's like some type of like symbolism between like going back to Tokyo, where you're seeing a little bit more of like, you know, traditional, you know, Japanese architecture versus in getting out of that house that is like so heavily influenced by Western European architecture. And I don't really know what it all means yet, but someone will. Uh, okay. Fair, fair. <laughs> Miyazaki, if you want to hop on this uh, podcast, yeah. reach out to us. Yeah. us up on our socials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, as you can see, I was conflicted by. I mean, like, I love the fact that we we took a stab. I love the fact that he came out of retirement, was eager to get after it one more time. I hope to God that he's got another one in him. No, <laughs> I think like... this is a good swan song for Miyazaki. I do. <sighs> I don't think it's his best film, certainly. I don't think no. that. But um, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was a good film. I thought it was a great one, even. And um, oh, I think, Charlie. you know, I really enjoyed it. I don't know what to say. I, I, I liked it. It does have its confusing moments, for sure. Like, there are a lot of things that are unexplained. I'm sure someone smarter than me has, you know, good explanations uh, for a lot of things. <laughs> the things that happen in this movie but i will say that the second half of the film is where it definitely gets into really like bizarre and kind of quote unquote, like uncharted territory like it, it can be hard to you know capture everything that is happening and like some character development seems like it's skipped around it's like did i fall asleep i'm not sure um yeah but overall i mean i thought it was great i liked the 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 themes that the movie was tackling i liked the you know the meta-sized uh, analysis of the film. I thought that was a really good insight um, that my friend and I think uh, some other reviewers certainly picked up on. Um, and like the moment that he said that, it was like, kind of was an eye why eye opening moment for me and like how to look at that look at the movie. So. Charlie, 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 <laughs> Charlie. I'm, 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 I'm. I think I've, I've, I've articulated every everything I've thought I've felt from this movie watching experience. Like I said, I, I can respect the attempt. I feel like you just switched like three things up and we, we got something here, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was, and you know what? Maybe it's like, it was so deeply personal that it had to be the way it was. And it wasn't necessarily for the masses. It was just for like me or whomever it was that like contributed and like made this. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm just looking at this from the wrong angle, but um, as someone, you know, completely unrelated outside who has, you know, nothing at stake here. I just, uh, there have been other films that I have enjoyed, more. Yeah. but you know what? It's done now. I welcome, I think anybody, everybody probably gets something a little different out of it. Like don't just be colored by, by my experience, you know, go see it for yourself and, Tell me if I'm crazy or or justify justify me. That's that's cool. That's cool. Vindicate me. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can certainly let Palmer know or let us both know how you thought about the movie if you follow us on social media. So, um, for sure, do that. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Palmer, before we kind of close it out here? Ah. <sighs> I feel like there's like a million. Like I, I just, I'm not at peace with it yet, but I'm getting there. Um, you know what? I think it's just that. Uh, once again, this justifies for me that animation is such an incredible medium. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it for that. I enjoyed that part of it. Um, I just also love like you know unique storytelling, the non, I guess Western based uh, storytelling as well. So I'll always welcome you know uh, a Studio Ghibli film. Yeah, I mean. I I am somebody who I don't really care what medium come it comes in you know I'll I'll if if it's something that is interesting I will always like give it a try give it a whirl I'm not like somebody who's 
uh, bias towards any type of medium or where a movie comes from or what style it's in even like I have no qualms against animated films and as you can see from our near hour long discussion there is a lot to talk about and dissect from uh, movies like this I mean like I don't think people give these films enough credit sometimes um, or what the power of a, like uh, animated film can have so I mean I would absolutely recommend this movie but it doesn't sound like you would buffer <laughs> no no I would not but I mean I'd say watch it once at your yeah. discretion like just know if you really want to enjoy yourself maybe go to one of the other movies that they have yeah I mean I would always That's recommend any of the uh, Miyazaki films uh, and I think this one is like maybe one you kind of end with in a because I think you need to really understand the director and like his previous work to like fully kind of appreciate or maybe even understand this uh, this film. Like I don't think this should be your first Miyazaki or Ghibli film. Um, definitely no, start with that. some of the more uh, classics like Spirited Away. If you haven't seen that Classic. one. Definitely check it out. We have an episode on Miyazaki, actually, <clears throat> from, like, I think a year or two ago. You should check that one out. Shout out to an old app. Shout out. <laughs> well, there's nothing else, Palmer. I think we can wrap it up. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. This has been the Watching Out Podcast. We're your host, Charlie Bud, and join with me, as always, is the wonderful Jordan Palmer. You can catch our podcast's new episodes every Monday evenings, although we're going to be soon switching that to Wednesday. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. We'll probably let you know when that happens. It'll be soon. Um, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit us up on social media, which probably you can let them know where we are. You can hit us up on Instagram at what you got podcast, what you spelled W H A T C H A, or on Twitter slash X at what you got cast, what you spelled the same way. And on our social media, you can find updates to when episodes drop or any other thing, I guess. <laughs> and also, you can inter- you can also chat with us there. That's a great place to interact and give us your thoughts on the film. Next week, we're going to talk Poor Things, Yorgos Lanthimos' next film starring Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo and William Defoe uh, and Ram Yusuf, if I'm remembering correctly, all the people starring in that movie, um, which apparently is based on a book. I don't know if it's the same name, but we're excited to check it out. Yorgos Lanthimos is an eccentric filmmaker. Let's just say that man has made some movies good ones um so catch us next week until next time peace